and welcome to Let's Talk Cricket here on Three Values Radio. And we start this evening with um, some sad news in cricket. Uh, Reedy Kurtzen, the South African former cricket umpire, who at the time, between his time at the top of the game, officiated a record games of 331 games in international cricket before his retirement back in 2010. Umpiring between 1992 to 2010, umpiring over 100 test match crickets, uh, test match games. Um, obviously before that playing as a player himself has sadly passed away was considered to be one of the finest umpires of his generation and in fact the game had ever witnessed and obviously was being considered to be a true gentleman of the sport and a very wonderful person and obviously there was lots of times when he was talking about when he'd go away after he'd done a series in England when he was talking about how he'd be looking to find how the ball would swing and reverse swing but I think the thing most people remember Rudy Kurtzin for is of course his slow raise of his finger as he gave a batsman out either LBW'd or caught behind. So a sort of signature moment of him. So various players across the world have obviously been sending their condolences to Rudy Kempton's family. And of course, South Africa, in their touring match against England recently, have been wearing the black armband as well, along with ICC cricketing umpires. So our thoughts are with Rudy Kempton's family at this time. Good evening, Johnny. How are you? Good evening, George. I'm 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 very well, thank you. A slightly more sober start to our our recording than usual. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very well, thank you, man. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Uh, all good after my little trip to the Isle of Wight yesterday. First time to the Isle of Wight. Uh, went across to watch a Hampshire game. Um, Somerset, of course, weren't playing on Tuesday. They're playing today, which was a fantastic game, by the way. Which I'm going to touch on a little bit later. A fantastic. Uh, sort of knock from Ben Green, his first hundred in um, in a Somerset shirt. Almost got Somerset over the line against Durham, but wasn't able to. But what a fantastic uh, sort of comeback for that game as well. But no, really good sort of day on the island. It was really nice actually to be really close to the action and um, sort of find myself um, having the opportunity to speak to players on the pitch. And I spent a long period of time talking talking to Northampton's as a media guy who was giving some great stories of. Uh, Jimmy Neesham and uh, Chris Lynn and, and how and how the dressing room was feeling after their vitality, vitality Blast performance. But, you know, um, I'm sure we're going to touch on it a bit later once we get to 100. You know, 50 over gives an opportunity for some younger players to show their talents. And uh, there's also been some quite interesting games and results have been happening. But really, really nice to see cricket actually being played outside of the big stadiums. My personal view, I think, really nice to see... Um, and go to the Isle of Wight, go to their second and third grounds. So I think it just makes cricket a bit more accessible, a bit more open opportunities for people to come and visit, really. Especially when you think uh, people are representing the whole county. We haven't got like individual football teams, so you're not going to be able to see teams play home and away very often. And I just think, actually, cricket going off to these second and third grounds gives us really nice opportunities for cricket to become a lot, lot, little bit more open, like a little bit more relaxed and sort of going from there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit sunburnt. I feel sunburnt from the experience on the island. Uh, but it all went very smoothly and I saw a brilliant day's worth of cricket. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of the same when I get myself down to the carry ground down in Taunton a bit later on this week. For yourself, any, any updates at all in the cricketing world? Uh, yeah, a few. I, I too have been watching from slightly further afield. Um, the, the live stream of county matches is quite exceptional as I'm. Uh, as I'm approaching the end of a current work contract before I start a new job, I'm eating up an awful lot of hours just on the county live streams. And I, from watching from a, a considerable distance, didn't have quite the proximity you did. Hugely enjoyed watching Hampshire's win 
against North Ants, as well as watching Hampshire's other win, seeing Tom Prest's 180-odd. He looks like a really exciting prospect for the future. Uh, played a game on, on possibly one of the worst pitches I've ever seen, uh, which I'll, I'll briefly indulge you in. Uh, so, you, you know about, you've heard about the Lord's Slope, presumably. Uh, left to right, I think, rather than up and down. We played on a pitch at, at Droxford, uh, which is uh, sort of central Hampshire, uh, that was genuinely disorientating when you stood. So it, it slopes from one end of the wicket to the other. And you know, hugely, hugely disorientating pitch bumpy and just below the surface it's clay so once you get through that top uh, sort of top soil on the wicket the ball just dies it was absolutely violent there's two trees inside the boundary you know i think it's possibly the worst pitch we played on um tested my captaincy a little bit we ended up losing by 10 runs um a real spinner's deck and you know well, i looked at our bowling attacker we had four medium paces and one spinner um so couldn't really do an awful lot with that uh, but a really enjoyable game nonetheless but just some of the worst playing conditions I think we've ever seen. Baking hot, pitch cracking up, uh, clay below the surface, and a horrid slope. Um, I'm sure I'm going to play on better pitches this year, but we're uh, mostly at the moment just gearing up for our Somerset tour, aren't we, George? Yes, the Somerset tour, which of course will be featuring quite heavily in next week's show of uh, <laughs> Let's Talk Cricket. I think uh, I think I think we've got Steve Kirby coming on, fingers crossed, for next week's show as well. So we should have a bit of opportunity to get a bit of advice and ask him a few questions about how to survive on a touring on a touring match. I think quite important. But no, the uh, the touring match is coming together quite nicely. Potentially at the moment, a touring party of fourteen. Not sure if all fourteen will be looking for a place on the side, um, <laughs> but there are potentials. Obviously, there's been there's been quite a big chat with the side that we'll be playing. Uh, apparently, they've got a couple of international players in the side. Some different some different opportunities of players that can be coming in. But I think that's just early signs of my father just trying to wind me up. I hope so. I hope so. But uh, all should be good for our touring match uh, down to North Perrot on the uh, 21st of August. So if you want to come along and cheer us on, we'd be very much appreciative. Uh, going to be kicking off around 1-1-30, 30th of a match. And it should be all quite exciting. I'm uh, going to see some of the how whether some of these new signs are going to be as uh, useful as they've perhaps been in these 20 over conditions that we've seen. I think prepare to be impressed, mate. Uh, yeah, there's some good new blokes coming to the side. It's all very exciting. Uh, a couple of them have looked very sharp in nets as well. Just even like seeing the progress of some of the old boys from when they played their first game of cricket 12 months ago uh, to, to now. You know, they've they they can pick up long legs. They've got the chat down to a T. You know, it's looking quite promising. I think so. We should be able to give your uh, your old club a decent run this time round. Uh, but it should be very exciting. You know, Freddie Flintoff ain't got nothing on us, mate. They's taken a group of enthusiastic young people. We've taken a group of locals from a pub. <laughs> At least the young people have fitness on their side. These blokes have got drinking and not an awful lot else. Um, but it does promise to be very exciting. And, you know, they, they love cricket. And it's just actually quite inspiring to play in a team with people that are so enthusiastic about the sport. You know, they've not been playing it long enough for the cynicism and, and, and the jadedness to, to seep in as it might do with us every so often. Um, so I, I'm so excited. And then I follow that up a week later with a tour of Dublin uh, with another cricket team. So I'm going to eat up the miles in these uh, last few weeks of summer. Tifa says a little bit more of your uh, tour in, in Dublin. What's, 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 what's occurring? What are the fixtures? Yeah, well, I think I'll, I'll, I'll keep. I might even be able to do a broadcast from Dublin for you as well, if you like. That'd be quite entertaining. So we've got. Uh, so I'm touring with my midweek side, 
uh, which I'll give a plug here, Portsmouth Academics. Uh, it's the staff team from the University of Portsmouth, which I periodically captain and the captain there in Doorside. So we're going out to Dublin on the 1st of September. Uh, we've got four games in five days. Uh, so we're playing uh, the wonderfully named Balbriggan Taverners. Uh, so Ireland's uh, cricket league is set up. So your, your, your Taverner teams are like your friendly sides. And then you've got competitive sides as well. Uh, we're playing the Bank of Ireland team. Uh, we're playing the Irish Civil Service team. And we are playing uh, the staff team from Trinity College Dublin, uh, which we're playing on the third pitch at Malahide. Uh, which I am very excited at, which is a, an, obviously an, famously an international ground. Um, so we'll get a chance to play in some decent conditions and hopefully against some decent teams uh, that won't completely batter us. But we're taking 16 out to Dublin. So there's been some good competition for places. However, it has been announced that our, our regular captain uh, dislocated his thumb in a club game this Saturday. So he may well be sitting out and just coming along as an umpire. Uh, so we'll have to have a look at how selection works out because I know everyone is desperate for games, but equally half the squad are desperate to pull the Guinness factory. So, you know, we, we may well end up with one slightly tarnished fixture, but it, it should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be my first overseas tour. Um, so it'll be very, very exciting uh, to see how the boys get on out there. And what do you think is uh, the most important thing about a cricket tour of them, Johnny? What's the most important thing when clubs are looking to organise a cricket tour or looking to go on a cricket tour for your very first time? <laughs> uh, the most well, it depends on what perspective you're coming from, because I think the most important thing of all of it is to have fun. That that is that is why anyone goes on these things. And there's a little bit of escapism. There's a little bit of you know pretending that you're actually going on a proper overseas cricket tour uh, as part of a proper team. You know, um, but I think certainly going as an attendee, you want to make sure that you have fun, and also I think you want to make sure that there's a a good standard of cricket there. You know, you want to make sure everyone gets a fair go. Um, you want to make sure it's entertaining. You want to make sure there's stuff on. I think if you're on the committee or you're helping to organise it, as you know, I've done for our Somerset tour and I'm doing for this Dublin tour, you, you want to make sure it's well organised and, and you want to make sure people are getting value for money as well. You know, we ask for an awful lot of money for these things and it is approaching a time when money is going to be quite tight. So trying to make sure everything, yeah, we're getting good value. You make sure you account for every penny. You make sure people are sort of getting their worth. Uh, so there's a lot of things to consider, I think. Uh, particularly the blokes that just sort of pay their money and rock up don't quite appreciate the energy and the effort that goes into sorting like transport and flights and fixtures uh hotels you know there's a lot that goes into it but um predominantly you know i'm, I'm there to have fun you know it's a nice way to see out the season i think we've got a couple of friendly fixtures in until late september actually on, on weekends but it's a, you know, a good way to sort of see out the summer with a group, good group of mates hopefully playing some entertaining cricket in some unfamiliar surroundings so i'm, I'm really looking forward to it. you know i i love tour season um, my other half perhaps does not, uh, as it does take me out of the house. And I'm actually going to be, I'm going to start my new job. I'll be there for a week before I then go away on a cricket tour, uh, which is perhaps quite poor planning. Um, but uh, yeah, so excited. Yeah, I, I, I love this time of year. I love these cricket tours. You know, it's a great chance to play cricket against some other teams with a, a good bunch of guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think in particular, it's going to be interesting to see, as you've said, spoken about earlier particularly with the Somerset Tour, seeing who's, uh, who's improved, I suppose, most of all, and whether people have uh, taken on board advice or uh, learned anything from previous experiences of last time. You know, I'd, I'll be honest with you, I've been very, very excited. Uh, moments there. I, felt, I felt like a kid in a candy store today. Uh, I, took, uh, I took one of our, one of our regular players, uh, Russ, to the uh, Sears Cricket, uh, Cricket Shop. Obviously, other cricket shops are available to purchase. And... Uh, <laughs> I quite like spending other people's money. I reckon that's. I reckon that could be a job for me when I when I decide uh, to. St- shopper. 
personal cricket shopper, you know, and if um if you if you if you're not a fan of if you haven't yet come across I should say of We Cricket, I highly recommend you uh, you do have a little look on YouTube for their uh, their channel. Absolutely fantastic channel. And actually, I sort of had a bit of a moment where I was given a certain amount of money to spend, and I just spent it, and um, it was it was quite fun. And so I get this uh, I get to dress out with um, pads, glove, bat, helmet, and I mean even even a, even um, even a little bag as well to put his kit in, and it's like. He's now he's now got the love he's now got the love of the game. He spent the money, so I like to think he's going to play for a bit longer. Then he depends perhaps the maybe the three or four games that we organise the season. But we shall see. But it's quite interesting when someone puts so much trust in you to uh, help them choose their equipment, and I think that's quite confusing. One of my personal highlights, of course, though, was um, seeing him trying on all these different helmets to try and find the right fit, and trying to squeeze his head into a little small junior helmet. And then into the, into the small adults, and then into the men, then obviously the grill as well, and then trying to make sure the glasses didn't fall down and stayed up. So there's lots, you know, there's lots of issues. Sometimes when we we don't really we don't really think about times when we buy equipment, especially me. I haven't I haven't bought a helmet ooh, for a good eight ten years, so it's quite a change. You sort of forget. Obviously, helmets have changed and regulations have got they've improved most recently with, with the, obviously the safety levels they've got now. It's all sort of coming into place, but now. The bat, the bat in particular, was the, uh, the the most fun I think for trying to help pick. This, this is what I'm here for, George. Talk to me about the bat options. Uh, wh- well, what was considered, and then what was picked. I need to hear everything. So I often think, I often think it's, um, I often think it's uh, with, with when you pick a cricket bat, it's it's quite funny. It's sometimes a bit like love at first sight, isn't it? When it comes to a cricket bat, <laughs> and, yeah, okay. um, you know, we walk in. We, we, we walk past all the uh, junior bats, and I kind of make a little joke about, oh, you could probably you could probably still still bat with one of those. Um, but in particular, you know, we walk down, we get to the bats. I pick one up to start with. I'm thinking, I pick up a bat. Obviously, again, I'm going to name I'm going to name the brands. But obviously, there are lots of different brands available. Uh, so we pick up an SG to start with, um, and I sort of go, oh, just just pick that up and see how you feel about that. And obviously. Russ in particular was he's got a he's, he's sort of decided that he feels he wants a bit of a lighter bat than um, perhaps is needed and perhaps, perhaps than the normal person might have. Uh, so obviously I know Johnny, you go for a two ten. I I often go for a two seven or two eight, and Russ has sort of decided to go for a two eight and uh, picked up this first bat and he said no oh, no that felt quite nice, but you could just see his eyes was going towards this particular brand of bats that you know quite a lot of the international players are using. You know, we did. We did. I um, I walked. I walked past. Uh, I walked past a couple bats because I just thought I didn't particularly like the branding of them. I didn't like. I didn't particularly like the bats. You know, uh, particularly one might be one of what, what, what one of those bats might be what uh, one of the presenters on the show might use. And uh, we walked past them quite quickly, along with also oh, perhaps, perhaps also we also did walk past as well the uh, walk past the, the the bat that you know quite often. Gets uh, people in the England game hitting over 102 meters long range of sixes. Stop, so sort of stop being coy. We're not we're not on the BBC. We can say bat brands. So uh, you know it's just personal preference. But no, he fell in love with as much as I tried to steer him towards some other choices before picking that final bat. Um, he did steer towards the blue uh, blue and white uh, stickers of the New Balance bat. So he's got himself a New Balance bat. Ooh. Uh, it's two pound two pound eight, and it's got a, a reasonably standard middle. And uh, you know, I think I think the funniest thing is um, 
I often joke with a lot of the people in our, in our team about how the bat picks the batter. A bit like the Harry Potter, the one picks the wizard. And um, I kind of found, you could just see on his face, he straight away went, oh, I really like this one. I really like this one. Picked it up, giving it a bit of a swing around, seeing how he felt with it. And uh, sort of going from that sort of moment, we start to see Russ sort of falling in love with this bat and sort of feeling, yeah, this is going to be my, this is going to be my sort of, weapon of choice when I walk out to the crease ready to bat and face off those North Parrot bowlers. Hopefully quick bowlers, not spinners this time, but we, we, we shall see. And, you know, we're getting them to do all these different moments of, of ideas and lifting the bat up, raising it down, make sure he felt he had the right weight, using his top hand, getting to play a couple shots to see whether he felt quite nice. Then obviously later on, then we picked up some different gloves and then get them to try and bat again with the gloves on. So yeah, it was great fun. I spent the best part of an hour and a half in the, in the cricket shop and absolutely nice. loved it so if anyone would like an opportunity and you're not sure what bat you're going to pick or any or any equipment I am available I'm very much happy to uh, come and spend your money in any way shape or form I do keep to a budget if required but I will I will make you go as best as possible for the best range bats you know it's just quite nice to pick up pick up a nice collection of bats and pick up some of these £450 bats that you know I'm never going to pay for but felt quite nice to pick up and say yeah I've, I've, uh, I've seen them but yeah there's my chat about going to the cricket shop today and purchasing a new person's kit for under 500 pounds so i'm quite happy with myself really not my money well no that's very true that's very true now what will be very very interesting for me to see at least now uh, let's let's call it you know pounds per run uh i'm sure it's an investment um but i do hope that uh, that he's able to get a decent return on that investment over the next couple of years because uh, I think I'm chalking it up at the moment that yeah, if every pound I spent on my bat uh, <laughs> tallies up with a run, I'm doing pretty well. Um, but that's over two years, so Russ has spent an awful lot of money on his kit. I want to see how it works out. I think it's probably right to mention he hasn't spent awfully that. When you think about the grand scheme of things, most people on the listen to the show are probably regular regular cricketers. They probably occasionally update their kit once every five years, you know, and they don't probably update it all in one go. And I think the thing we forget. I forget how expensive pads and gloves are, you know. Especially if you're going to buy them mid-season. If you buy them at the end of the season sale, you're going to do really well. So I think that should be got rid of. Helmets become really, really expensive. And as I said, once you get one helmet, you last that helmet for a long period of time. Like, I'm still wearing my junior's helmet. I probably should update my helmet, really. But I'm still wearing my junior Missouri helmet, you know, that I've worn for a long time. time. I haven't changed it because it's, it's fit, it works. It still, still does the job, but... You know, if I'm going to upgrade to a new helmet, it's going to be best part of 100 quid almost with some, some, of the, some of the helmets you look for. I know there are lots of different markets and regions out there for what you're looking for. So I'll go for that. But I think that's the thing. But I think I will say, and I think I've said this numerous times on this show when we've talked about bats and choices of bats, I think you've got to spend a bit of money on a cricket bat. I don't think you can, you can uh, get away with spending, you know, between 100 and 120 pounds a month on a cricket bat. So I just don't think the last... They last the legs of the season, you know. Um, and I just think that's that's my worry, really. I feel like you need to spend at least £150 on a cricket cricket bat, at least just to know you've got the quality of the bat, really. Maybe call me a cricket snob when it comes to the cricket bats, but I just feel personally that's what you need to do. And yeah, with your point, pound for run, I think I'm currently running off at the moment of my current bat that I've bought. I think I'm on half price rates at the moment. So we, we, should, say, we should see what happens when that comes to the front. Exciting. Exciting. But good, yeah, there you go. You carved out a new career for you. First ever cricket personal shopper. I like it. 
I like it. It'll be nice to see him like proper decked out in his own kit, not having to uh, sort out his own pads or, or even funnier, get the opposition to sort out his pads for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm very much looking forward to him uh, walking out of all the new kit and um, and we've all we've all got our particular particular brands. You know, I I just, when I was talking to him earlier, we sort of talked about you probably want the pads and gloves to be the same brand. I, I'm not one of these that likes to mix brands when it comes to pads and gloves. I like to keep the uh, the glove they're sort of in the same sort of style. So that's another sort of discussion. Whereas I know lots of people don't really bother about that. They have all different kinds of brands on their you know, all the way down to their shoes and the way up to their helmet, you know. Lots of different brands anyway, but it just depends on preference for players, doesn't it, really? So it's it's just one of those. And I think, actually, I'll be interested to see whether anyone else on the team decides. You know, I've, I've made the offer to uh, very happily spend other people's money, but I think at the moment we're just going to have to accept that they're all going to be using the same gloves, the same pads and the same helmets, <laughs> and that'll be their, their disappointment, unfortunately. Indeed, indeed. But you know, good fun, and it's 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 how you get into the sport, isn't it? Because the initial outlay of kit can be prohibitively expensive to quite a lot of people. So I think unless you're fortunate enough to have a, a bit of leftover gear or a mate that can lend you some stuff, it is quite a difficult thing to get into. So it's fortunate for Russ, I suppose, that he's you know, been able to get introduced to the sport and borrow other people's kit before he could then. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. Outlay is own, but we, we've spent a lot of time talking about our own weeks this week. Uh, what, what's been happening in the rest of the cr- cricketing world, George? Well, I think we're, we're dived straight in, shall we, to the 50 over competition. I think it's probably the best place to start, you know. And I think we've got to start straight away with the game that's happened today uh, with between Somerset and uh, Durham. As I spoke about earlier, right at the top of the show, you know, Somerset chasing 342 when it comes to looking at uh, sort of conditions. We saw a debut given to a former North Perrot player, uh, Alfie, Alfie Ogborn, which is absolutely fantastic to see. And he bowled four overs then, he bowled really, really well, and actually had a 97 partnership with Ben Green towards the end of the uh, the end of the game, and to which he scored three of the runs. So I think, you know, it's really, really good positive signs to see someone make it in the professional scene that, you know, it's come through club cricket ranks and, you know, has been picked up that way. So that's really fantastic to see him, and hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show at some point to talk about his, uh, his rise to professional cricket. But Durham as well, getting off to a good start. They they put on the best part of a 60-run partnership. They weren't really losing wickets very quickly. Their top order were really making the most of the, the conditions at Taunton. Borthwick with 88, Clark with 86, 44 for Trasky, and then 28 for 
McIntosh towards the bottom. Sonny Baker, the standout bowler, taking six wickets for 46, a career best for him. And obviously then Somerset then finishing uh, finishing off, perhaps at one point sort of being a bit down and out. At one point there, 195 for eight. Not really looking much in it, but then come with the man, come with the hour. And that was Somerset's captain for this competition, Ben Green, with a career best of 157 of 84 balls. 84 balls. He got to a half century, and then the next 50 runs he hit, he hit off 14 balls. Some serious striking. And I can tell you, it was absolutely fantastic to watch this on the live stream. I just got back, um, came in, switched on the telly, put it on, and apparently the viewing figures, and this is what I think is absolutely fantastic about live streams, the viewing figures for this game went from, I think, 1,200 to when, I, to when we signed in to listen to it, to over 7,000 people interested in the final of this game. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be for Somerset today. And uh, they, they bowled out eventually for 333 all out. Ben Green, the last man to go, being caught trying to go for a big six, trying to get Somerset over the line. And I just think what a fantastic game of cricket. Um, really good. Obviously, unfortunately, unfortunately, Somerset have lost again. Obviously, Somerset have struggled slightly at the moment in this competition. Being bowled out for 199 against Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire winning by five wickets. And obviously, the game before that, being bowled out for 112 at home, so Somerset will be looking to try and uh, bounce back quite quickly in this competition when they go again a bit later in the week. But obviously, all good signs for Hampshire, aren't they, Johnny? All good signs for Hampshire. Very good, good, very, very good signs for Hampshire. I, I remain cautiously optimistic of a Hampshire treble this year. Um, some really, really outstanding performances in the One Day Cup. Now, I, I will preface this by saying that. The Hampshire one-day team is pretty strong in comparison to a lot of them. Now, you're missing the likes of James Vince and you know, obviously Carl Abbott and uh, Mohamed Abbas don't tend to play the 50-over format. Um, but the Hampshire team at the moment is being captained by Nick Dubbins, who's got an exceptional run of form in counter cricket. Obviously, a, a talented uh, player, an experienced operator, and even some of the young guns coming through have got a good deal of experience at, at quite a high level. You know, Tom Prest, who I met. So you've, you've obviously got Tom Prest, who's a hugely, considering he's only 19, a very experienced cricketer, more so than a lot of these younger blokes plying their trade in the 50-over competition. And I mean, he obviously captained the uh, England under-19 side in the World Cup uh, last year, uh, played a few blast fixtures last year as well, uh, really making a name for himself as a batter and occasional bowler of quite some repute and every single ounce of that natural talent and experience was on display last week when he hit 180 odd in a one day cup match uh, and the uh, the well constructed half century it looked like uh, against Northampton on the Isle of Wight yesterday I'm sure George you can talk a bit more about how that looked in the ground but even then looking at the rest of that Hampshire lineup, you know you've got uh, Anurian Donald who's you know, been around the Hampshire setup for a while now uh, ben Brown, captain at Sussex, quite an experienced uh, yeah, county operator as well as a white ball player. Uh, at the top of the order, Felix Organ has been playing around a while now. And in this most recent fixture at Northampton, you had Keith Barker make his way back into the side, who obviously is, yeah, has been around the circuit for quite some time now. So it's quite an experienced Hampshire team. Um, and I think it is clear that they are using this as an opportunity to, to really test some of their younger players, but firm them up or firm the batting up with some of these older blokes. And Nick Gubbins in particular as, as captain is a, 
good for him. Yeah, his move from Middlesex to, to Hampshire seems to have paid dividends and really sort of strengthened this Hampshire batting lineup across all formats. So it's a, a good move, I think, and Hampshire are, are genuine title contenders um, again this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they progress. But they've, yeah, they've put a couple of good shifts in so far, you know. Uh, the, the the demolition job 380 they put past last week a really really impressive score Gubbins and uh, and uh, and Press looking exceptional and that win against Northamptonshire I think it just shows Hampshire's latent ability to to, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat you know, Northampton needed 20 30 runs with five wickets in hand and Hampshire seemed to scuttle them relatively easily you know, being able to get in get themselves into these winning positions from you know, some quite tricky situations seems to be the hallmark of this Hampshire side. And it, uh, it fills me with confidence, you know, as a, as a Hampshire fan, um, for, you know, what they could go on to do. You know, the pipeline seems to be working. They've got a lot of young players coming into the centre and they seem to be in the habit of winning. And when you've got that momentum builds up, it bleeds across into the other formats as well. And it does bode quite well, I think, for the rundown of the county championship too. Perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself, you know, I don't know, you know. Um, I want to think the best of this Hampshire side. Uh, but from what I could see on the live stream, it certainly seemed like an entertaining fixture. What was it like for you at, at pitch side, George? Well, it was um, it was a very much an interesting game. I was a little bit. I thought it was going to be runs galore, but it looked like Hampshire really struggled to bat. Obviously, Tom Press, they were a fantastic half century, and then uh, Keith Barker chipping a very nice. Uh, just I think it was thirty nine at the time, but I just thought one hundred ninety nine when they got bowled out for was a little bit disappointing. To be honest, I thought they at least needed two forty on that wicket, but then. It just saw, and then you saw sort of complete different contrasts. You saw Northamptonshire absolutely cruising in the run chase. You know they were, they were losing wickets at different times and different moments. But Rob Keogh, uh, in particular, fantastic knock from him at seventy four, just hit a fantastic four, and then drove one and got a fantastic catch uh, off um, fantastic catch diving catch. In fact, at mid on was absolutely fantastic. And I'm just trying to remember the um, it was Felix Organ. There we go, Felix Organ, the fantastic. Catching that for the moment, that, that, that they were 177 for six. They lost four wickets for the next 11 runs and lost the game. And it just, it was just bizarre. It was bizarre. Like, it just felt like, from my, from my perspective, obviously they're watching. A brilliant day, really enjoy the day out. Um, really good service, really good hospitality. Like I said, really nice to get a bit more close to the action you would normally. Sat in a picnic chair, it was great. It was really good. You know, and I'm hoping I can do it as a regular thing for the next, next few years, you know going to all these different second grounds rather than going to the main grounds. But you just, yeah, I just don't know how Northamptonshire threw that game away, game away, really. And it was fair play to Hampshire for keep fighting, keep going. I think the young the young pace bowler John Campbell finished with fingers three for 17, I think it was. So that was really, really impressive. You know, and that put them in a very good position, second in, second in their group. Obviously, Lancashire top of the moment because they had a no-result game with seven points. But in Somerset's group, Somerset at the bottom three, playing three, lost three. At the top of their groups, Nottinghamshire with four points, Sussex, Middlesex, Gloucestershire, Leicestershire all on four points. Then you've got Durham just above them with obviously one today. So still still games to play, still opportunities to get in this 50-over competition. But obviously some sides in particular are missing quite a lot of players due to the 100, aren't they? But other players, you'd say, have got bigger squads and are able to take advantage of that. And actually, you've seen the youth that perhaps don't get the opportunity at times to play in these games actually coming through really showing off their talent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, I've, I've spoken about Hampshire's youth setup already. You know, Tom Prest, Fletcher Middleton, uh, Toby Albert, you mentioned John Campbell. You know, there's quite a few of these guys who've come through the youth setup 
played a lot of second team cricket and you know this is a good break for them you know one of the benefits of having the uh, the Royal London One Day Cup as a development competition is you do give a chance to these players to play at a slightly higher standard and playing alongside the likes of you know uh, Nick Gubbins and Ben Brown and and um, Keith Barker will give these blokes a lot of confidence. They'll pick up that experience. They'll be able to use that. And hopefully they'll stay with the county for a long time. Now, I'm sure it's the same with Somerset, with Sonny Baker. Uh, Tom Lamanby's quite a good example as well. James James Rue. Is it James Rue? Um, you know, these are all young blokes who are going to le- learn an awful lot, you know, batting with Matty Renshaw, with James Hildreth. You know, there's there's a lot to take out of this and it will be this experience playing at this standard will be indispensable for them the rest of their careers and it, you know, it, it, if nothing you know, a lot has been made of the one day cup being pushed to the margins of the England of the English summer and you know it, particularly if we want to remain the world champions of the 50-80 format you need to do you do need to give an opportunity for players like this to develop and actually giving these young guys a chance to come through could well be an investment that pays off in five years time you know if the one day World Cup is still running as a competition. If it's still viable, a lot of these players this will be the first opportunity they have to play list A cricket at this standard. Um, so I think it's an exceptionally good opportunity, and it does show the benefit to investing in a youth setup if your county is well funded enough to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think stay tuned. Wait, I think it's going to be some really nice, good games coming up, and in particular, I think Somerset versus Sussex, which is next Friday, which I'm particularly looking forward to going down and seeing. It's going to be a really, really good fixture under the, under the floodlights. I think there's some really, really good fixtures that still to come up and still to sort of see where we are going to sort of be going and going from there. So I think, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see where the 50-over game is going to be taken and, and what side is going to go the distance in this game for that final, I believe, at Trent Bridge on the 21st of September, I believe. But we will obviously keep an, a further round up for that going forward. Hey, are you going to the Yeovil Ukulele Festival? Sunday the 4th of September at Haysbury Mill near Crookern. 11 o'clock in the morning till 9 at night with big acts from the ukulele world including Plastic Jesus, Tricity Vogue, The Hedge Inspectors, 80s icon Sam Brown, Pete Brown, Hester Goodman from the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, and local duo in sync. Like Tickets are available from the website www.yovelukulele.club and on the door. And it's all in aid of mind in Somerset. There'll be performances across two stages, workshops, strum and sing-alongs, trade stands, food, raffle and more. So make sure you get there. September the 4th at Hazelbury Mill near Krugard. When I'm cleaning windows. Of course, last Wednesday was the start of the 100. And obviously I was able to get there myself to see the Southern Brave versus the Welsh Fire. Perhaps the local icon, the, icon, the local derby in the 100 game. Obviously the men's competition started the, the week earlier as due to the, the fact the women were playing in the Commonwealth Games in the T20. With of course England narrowly missing out on a bronze medal in that game. But obviously some big performances from lots of the players 
been highlighted throughout that game and England were very unlucky in fact to lose to India in that semi-final when they could have been playing in that gold medal match at Edgbaston but a really good competition now in the Commonwealth Games which I know Jones can go into a little bit more detail a bit later on in his week in cricket but we are going to focus in at the 100 and obviously I think one of my sort of funniest moments of this game in fact Johnny of the Southern Brave versus the Welsh Fire was actually the fact that the, delay, the start got delayed because all these fireworks and pyrotechnics started and I mean um the literal fog covered the whole ground. You couldn't see a thing for a good five, ten minutes. And it just got worse and worse the longer and more those fireworks went off. But actually, you know, with all the pyrotechnics, with all the investment that's been thrown into 100, um, the Southern Brave turned up, and I didn't feel like the Welsh Fire's uh, batting turned up in, at all, really. And they got they got to 107 for seven off the 100 balls. And, I mean, when you drop James Vince for a duck, he's going to make you pay. And obviously, a really nice... 72 not out, and he uh, saw the Southern Brave home quite comfortably, really, without any of their, obviously without Quinton Cock at the top of the order. We saw a little bit of Marcus Storinus, didn't really see much of Tim David in that game, sort of gone there. So Southern Brave really putting down the marker that they're once again with the team to beat in the start of this competition. But then, of course, the, the main thing about the 100 is that because it's franchise cricket, you're going to see cricket every day. You're going to see one game being played every day. So cricket's everywhere these next, next few sort of weeks or so. And the next game I thought was probably the best game so far in this competition. So the Oval Invincibles versus the London Spirit Men. And obviously Owen Morgan showing how much of a class player Owen Morgan is. Hitting a fantastic 40-odd uh, there for the London Spirit. 171 for 6. I thought the Oval Invincibles looked a bit rusty with their bowling display, particularly Currens, struggling to find their lengths in particular. And at one point they should have been down and out. I think they were something like... Uh, 12 for 4 of their 17 balls when Binnings uh, chipped one to, uh, to short cover. A little bit disappointed with that result. But, you know, they kept in the game, kept in the game with some good knocks from Cox, from Cartwright, from Tom Curran, and even then Danny Briggs um, trying to hit sixes. And they narrowly lost the game, in fact, by uh, by three runs. So, a really good game there at the Oval. It's all showing how exciting this 100 competition could be. Then, Friday the 5th, we saw Manchester Originals, saw Josh Butler in that game hitting a half century. And um, the Northern Superchargers won that game by six balls and won by six wickets, chasing 161 for four in that match. The Saturday fixture of the 100 competition saw Joe Root and Lewis Gregory's Trent Rockets taking on Moen Ali's uh, Birmingham Phoenix, uh, Phoenix. And the Birmingham Phoenix posted a score of 143 for seven. They lost quite a few wickets quite early on. And you just saw the class of Joe Root in particular sort of guiding that side home with the Trent Rockets winning by six wickets. On the Sunday, we saw the Welsh Fire hosting the Oval Invincibles, who had strengthened their batting line by signing Riley Russo to bat three. He didn't uh, come off in this game, but I'm sure he will a bit later on in the competition. And we saw the Welsh Fire uh, bowled pretty well, in fact, to the Oval Invincibles. The Oval Invincibles got to 158 for five, and they won by 39 runs, and the Welsh Fire are unable to manage 119 for six. Again, the Welsh Fire's batting looking a little bit undercooked there. And it looks very they might be struggling, in particular in this competition, with their batting sort of lineup. The Monday's game, uh, I think the highlight of Monday's game, in fact, was perhaps seeing the two Tottenham players, Harry Kane and um, Matt Doherty, trying to hit sixes uh, in the pre-warm-up of this game. But the London Spirit again showed the class. Owen Morgan hit another half-century in this game. 160 for six at Lord's. Um, and obviously, Manchester Originals were bowled out for 108 all round. London Spirit winning by 52 runs and already winning more games than they did last season. Of course, coming bottom of the competition last year. 
And then tonight, uh, saw the final, the final, no, sorry, Tuesday night, uh, Northern Superchargers took on the Trent Rockets. The Northern Superchargers hit 152 for eight. Trent Rockets cruised to victories thanks to a fantastic 88 knot out from David Milan. And obviously then tonight we saw the replay, sorry, tonight, obviously Wednesday night being the 10th of August. We saw the replay of last year's men's final between the Birmingham Phoenix and the Southern Braves men. Berman Phoenix, 176-4, thanks to fantastic batting, going at a stroke of 202 from Somerset's Will Smead. Finally getting that century. He's already hit four 90s this season in T20 cricket. So Will Smead's finally got his, his first 100, you could argue. He's got the first 100, in fact, in the 100, that coming off around 50 balls. 101 not out, he finished. And the Southern Brave collapsed to 123 all out with 15 balls to spare. And the Bourbon Phoenix won by 53 runs, which sends quite a clear statement in the men's competition. Of course, the thing we're most excited about is going to be, in fact, on Friday the 12th, where we will see the um, Southern Brave woman um, versus the London Spirit woman. So we're going to see the start of the competition for the women starting in the 100. Alongside, we're going to start seeing these double headers starting to come into play. And what I'm really excited about the coming coming now with the 100 is we're going to start to see the men sometimes playing first before the women, and the women actually taking the prime slot at the, at the half six kickoff for the for the match, Johnny. But what that's sort of the roundup of the fixtures that we've seen and the results in the 100. It looks quite open this year with certain teams starting to play a lot better than they perhaps did last season, teams actually getting their directs right. But what have you made so far of the 100? I, do you know. I've I've found it entertaining, uh, which is which is a good sign. You know, I, I think there's there's a little bit perhaps of a, a contrast in standards, uh, as you naturally get in competitions like this, whereby you have some absolute international gun players, and then you have a few others who sort of um, you know, potentially making up the numbers. But I've been hugely impressed by a few aspects. I'm going to start with one of them, uh, and you're going to hate it. And I'm just going to talk very very briefly about James Vince. Particularly in that first fixture uh, against Welsh Fire, and it was more more initiated by a comment from my other half, who is not a cricket fan. Um, but even she said that he just it just he looks effortless when he bats. I was like, yeah, he does, he does look effortless when he bats. And actually, watching James Vince bat in that first fixture, he seemed to have all the time in the world. He played calmly, he played so serenely. And that was really, really promising, I think. And actually shows his innate qualities, both as the captain and as a batsman, particularly in these sort of formats, where it's not necessarily the gun international players who hog the headlines, but it's those guys who've been plying their trade in franchise cricket around the world, the cold pack type players, you might call them. Which leads me into my next point, which is about an international gun batsman and is about the same level of effortlessness and serenity, which is Darwin Milan. Now, his 88 not out earlier this week uh, was also just seems so untroubled. I think he maybe gave one half chance. It was, you know, with the exception of three absolute belting sixes, the rest of it was just all timing, all poise. You know, what excellent shot selection, bisecting fielders, you know, really picking his shots for the conditions, and he didn't seem at all hassled. As he made 88 off of 40-odd deliveries, and you know, these have been two of the of the best innings so far. You know, ignoring Will Smeads today, as I've not seen that yet. Um, but they both seem to you know, chalk up you know, big scores for the hundred without the sort of fireworks and big hitting, 
that you would associate with this competition. They were traditional shots, executed well, timed to perfection. And that, to me, has been one of the standout yeah, takeaways so far from this competition. Those two innings, two knocks by two credible international batsmen uh, that sort of broke the mould of how you might imagine the 100 would be played. Bowling's not been bad. You know, Nathan Ellis seemed to, to, to bowl very well. Uh, good to see the Currens back in form. Uh, Tymel Mills bowling again this evening. And I've also found the coverage, uh, the BBC's coverage, quite you know, very, very effective, particularly for a non-cricketing audience. And I complained an awful lot last year about the graphics, perhaps because I ran out of you know, anything original to say about the competition. But again, having been prompted and, you know, and sat through a couple of games with my other half, who's not a cricket, you know, cricket lover, um, she found it so easy to follow by the way things were projected and by the way things were explained. It does seem much more accessible this year. I think they are continuing to nail uh, the, the, the optics and the commentary. So I am slowly being won around to the 100. You know, I've actually found the one-day cup much more entertaining, but that's because perhaps I'm a, an old purist who will never be truly won over. But I've enjoyed what I've seen so far, and the entertainment value seems quite high. Uh, so I certainly hope it continues. And I think the fact that uh, you know, Southern Brave were beaten quite comprehensively on Wednesday evening has blown the competition wide open and uh, hopefully will allow a few other teams to have a proper crack at it. Um, yeah, seeing the likes of London Spirit run a, uh, win a few fixtures might be quite entertaining. Uh, but I, I look forward to how it continues. I look forward to the first double header. 400 balls of cricket uh, now that the, uh, the women's game can take off, now that the Commonwealth Games has wrapped up. So a fun week so far. And I, I look forward to seeing the 100 progress. Still not altogether sold, but having spent some time with some non-cricketers and heard what they make of it, I think I am progressively being one around. But of course, the uh, the men's competition has started, but obviously the women's competition is about to start. And how exciting is that going to be? Is that going to is that going to is that going to also meet that level of you know we've seen the second season, we've seen lots of different we saw start seeing lots of different sides going going out and coming forth. There, obviously, the Oval Invincibles won it last year. In the women's competition with the Southern Brave um, falling, 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 falling short at the at the final, and obviously we're seen to be the, quite the controlling side in the women's game. Do we think that's going to be a similar dominance with the uh, with the Southern Brave, or do we think the fact that there's been some quite good moves in the uh, women's squad sort of coming around, in particular Tammy Beaumont going to the Welsh Fire, might sort of spice things up a bit more in the women's competition of the hundred this season? I hope so. I think that there's enough variety across the squads to make it interesting. And there's also enough recent cricket having been uh, a re- recent good standard of cricket having been played. So a lot of these uh, a lot of these players are going to be coming in fresh from the Commonwealth Games or fresh from some limited over series earlier this summer. They'll have a lot of recent big game experience. And they'll be able to bring that to bear in the competition. So if seeing how they go is going to be truly interesting. And again, maybe that yeah they they lack the sort of the, the Colpack journeyman type figures to come into this competition, slot into the sides, and make an immediate impact. Um, what I do think it is going to bring is, is it's going to follow in the footsteps of the you know, the Lionesses and the Women's Euros. It's going to keep uh, high-profile women's sport on free-to-air television, uh, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, um, That, I think, is going to continue to be the main impact for the 100, the growth of the women's game, the investment in the women's game. And I'm not, you know, I'm not too territorial uh, about the winner. I just want to see some some cricket played to a good standard on free-to-air television that brings in the crowds. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with some of these double-headers, whereas previously the women's game was on first and the men's game would follow. Led to some accusations of the women's game being treated as the pre-drinks for the main event. They've swapped that for a few of the double-headers this year, so the women's game will be the main top billing 
Um, and it'll be really interesting to see if they can retain uh, the fans. But uh, I think whichever way you slice it, it's, it's going to be good for the women's game. It's going to really help uh, further the cause of the women's sport in the UK and hopefully continue to grow grassroots women's cricket uh, yeah, across the across the counties and hopefully bolstering the squad for a few years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, I think one of the factors of that as well was the fact the inclusion of T20 cricket in the Commonwealth Games. And I think the Commonwealth Games competition was absolutely fantastic. You know, we saw some brilliant games of cricket uh, being played across the sort of Commonwealth Games. And, and in fact, we saw some of those sides being really, really dominant, in particular England being really, really dominant to the in the Commonwealth Games up until they got to the semi-final where they narrowly missed out on beating India women uh, by four runs. That sort of moment when Nat Sliver was trying to run back for a second run and got run out with that dive. You sort of sort of saw trying to get back and trying to get back and try and make most of those final overs. But England fell short in the semi-final and then unfortunately fell short in the in the bronze medal match to New Zealand women who they beat only earlier in the competition when they reduced them to 71 for nine in their group stage match. And obviously in the final of the Commonwealth Games we saw Australia women versus India women and Australia women uh, 161 for eight and then India were bowled out of 152 so Australia took home the gold medal from the Commonwealth T20 which obviously is really nice in the inclusion of it I've seen lots of talk in papers and on different blogs and on different uh, websites people talking about trying to get now the inclusion of cricket in the Olympics of 2026 which I think would be really really nice to see but actually it was really nice to see the inclusion of cricket in the uh, Commonwealth Games and particularly the spirit of it, and obviously lots of people going to watch the games at Edgebaston, I think was brilliant. Obviously the coverage of it, again, by the BBC was really, really good going to that. Johnny, did you catch much of the Commonwealth Games? Do you, could you highlight any good performances that you saw? Uh, well, any any performance the Australian women's team were involved in. Um, they continue to be the absolute juggernaut of, uh, of, of the international women's game. And it was yeah, disappointing, I don't know if you saw shortly afterwards, Meg Lanning, is taking an indefinite break from the game. Yeah, I think at 30, she's been a mainstay of this Australian team for a long time. She's also pulled out. She was supposed to be representing Trent Rockets in this year's 100. Um, won the World Cup twice, I believe. Um, but for various reasons, I think she's taking a, a break. Uh, apparently supported by Cricket Australia and her colleagues. Um, yeah, There is a lot of cricket at the moment. I, one of the things you said uh, a second ago about yeah, the, uh, the cricket being at the Olympics or at, you know, future Commonwealth Games would be good for the international prestige of the sport, but has been pointed out a lot recently. There is a lot of cricket being played. You know, There's major international competitions every couple of years, coupled with domestic franchise cricket around the world. There's a lot of the sport, and it can take an awful lot of a toll upon the players. So actually, maybe it's a good thing that cricket might not feature at these games. It gives them an opportunity to make sure that the players can focus on those few competitions every few years rather than having to gear up for a major international sport every 12 months uh, at the expense of domestic leagues, which is what it will be at. Um, but some cracking performances from, from Australia. They, they remain the informed team internationally. And there were still a few good performances from England. There's some really exciting young players. Freya Kemp showing her worth. Alice Capsley, Izzy Wong, who's a really exciting quick bowler. She, she wants to be the first women's bowler to regularly exceed 80 miles an hour, and I believe that she can do so. Um, but it did seem to be the mainstay. You know, Nat Siver, um, I can never pronounce her surname properly, um, yeah, is still holding together the attack. Um, 
but I just every time I watch the Australian women's team, it's just, the, the dominance they have over the sport is is profound. As a talented team as India are, they didn't even get close, uh, and I think it, it bodes ill when your you know your four main teams, your four main professional women's teams, Australia, India, England, New Zealand, and you know, with South Africa on the periphery, even with the talent that one of these teams have, Australia are still dominant. And I, I don't see that changing for a long time to come. So as exciting as these competitions are, the end result is still eminently predictable. And I think you're actually right to highlight some fantastic performances as well from England, and especially as, though, as you said, those young talents, but also some of those uh, long-serving members of the, of the England women's side did start up into them, in particular Catherine Brunt. Was, uh, was a key figure, a key character in that change room. And she kind of came out towards the end of the games sort of saying that she felt that they'd um, let everyone down by not getting to the gold medal match. And, uh, you know, which she shouldn't do at all because it was an absolutely fantastic, you know, week and a bit of a Commonwealth Games action, particularly the cricket. Fairly enjoyed them. I'm, I'm hoping to see now this being pushed on and in down into the, into the 100 competition and seeing some fantastic performances there going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, when you have a, a good combination of young players and older you know, older talent you've, who've done the rounds a few times now, played in multiple international competitions, they will thrive with the knowledge and the clarity that that experience will bring. And you know, they, they will help to nurture and mentor and coach these young players. And by giving them this experience when they are in their late teens, as you know, Freya Kemp and Lauren Bell and Izzy Wong, you know, all late teens, early twenties, you know, they will hopefully be the mainstay of the next generation of this England side. They'll be in the setup for another 10, 15 years yet. And so the cycle moves. You know, you need these older players to help the younger ones grow and develop. And that is something that England seem to have done particularly well uh, with their setup recently. You know, they're able to cycle through a lot of the older players. They're able to give the, the young guns some. You know, some much-needed exposure like Sophia Dunkley over the last couple of years is another really good example. And hopefully they're able to make that tell and they'll be able to grow this next generation of, of, of female cricketers in the UK. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah, and I think uh, what we will do then, we just really will go quickly go through their results and their road to the to bronze medal match. So England's first game in the Commonwealth Games was against Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka batted first, 106 for nine off their 20 overs. Thanks to fantastic bowling from Sophie Eccleston, three for 25 Izzy Wong, 2 for 10, and Freya Kemp, 2 for 14. The batting was led by uh, Alice Capsi, 44 of 45 balls, batted really, really well. Uh, Maya Bounchi, uh, 21 not out of their 18 balls. Cruised, England cruised to a five-wicket victory with 17 balls to spare in the opening match. Their second game saw them taking on South Africa, who they played already quite a lot a few times this summer in ODI competitions and 2020 competitions. England batted first, and we saw a really good sort of opening, early opening stand from uh, Danny Wyatt and Alice Capsey. In particular, there was a fantastic ball by um, Ismail to take the wicket of Sophie Dunkley. A fantastic, really fast Yorker to take her stump quite early on. We saw Alice Capsey get her first half century, 50 or 37 balls. We then saw Amy Jones, the wicketkeeper, 36 not out, getting England to a really good score. Being well supported by Catherine Brunt, 38 of 23 balls. England posted a score 167 for 5. South Africa, although didn't lose wickets, were unable to get get to England's score thanks to some really good bowling from England. And we saw um, them reduced to 141 for 4, with wickets being taken by Brunt, by Kemp, by 
Sibber and also by Eccleston. So England, two out of two so far in their group stage. Their final game, as mentioned earlier, was against New Zealand women. And New Zealand women batted first, were reduced to 71 for nine. Thanks to excellent bowling from, again, Brunt, two for four. Izzy Wong, two for 10. And then Glynn, two for 13. Manny Green, the top scorer for New Zealand, for 19. And then England got there within 12 overs. 72 for three. They won by seven wickets, topping the group, which meant they would go on to face India, who came second in the other group with Australia topping that. New Zealand would still go through, as we've said, coming in the second place, with Alex Capsley there, top scoring with 23. So then, as we sort of, as we got to that semi-final, as we've mentioned, India woman batted first. Smitty Mandala hitting 61 of 32 balls, who's been absolutely fantastic in previous seasons for the Western Storm. It's going to be even better with that brilliant open partnership for Southern Brave. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And they won by four runs, 164 for five. Freya Kemp, two for 22, was the best bowler for England. And Nat Skiver was the highest score for England in their chase, finishing 160 for six with 41. Danny White, 35, and Amy Jones, 31. So that's where they got to in the semi-final, just narrowly missing out. And then finally then, the, the bronze medal match, England back first, 110 for nine of the 20 overs, Nat Silver 27, Amy Jones 26, Sophie Eccleston 18. Pick of the bowlers for New Zealand, Hayley Jensen, three for 24, Sophie Devine, two for 11, and Fran Jones, two for 22. And then Sophie Devine, 51 not out. And then Nat Silver, one for eight, Freya Kemp, one for 17. As New Zealand women cruised to victory with 49 balls and winning by eight wickets and taking the bronze medal. So that is the roundup of the Commonwealth Games with the England women. Fingers crossed um, they will take take those fantastic performances into now the 100 and into the rest of their international season they've got to look forward going from there. We're now going to hand over to Johnny for his week in cricket. You're listening to Three Valleys Community Radio. Thank you, George. And we end this evening's show by doing my customary week of cricket. Uh, taking in some of the additional stories from around the uh, the cricketing world that we haven't had the chance to cover in the main bulk of this evening's show. Uh, we'll start off uh, by reflecting on the international career of Trent Bolt. Uh, he's not officially announced his retirement, but he's announced he is uh, having a significantly reduced role uh, within the New Zealand setup. We'll look at some of the reasons for that, uh, the complications around excessive gameplay of the sport, and what it may mean. Uh, for other competitors around the world. We'll have a look at some of the World Cup leagues. Uh, Scotland uh, notching up a comprehensive victory over the UAE earlier this week. Two of the uh, slightly smaller international sides, Zimbabwe and Bangladesh, are fighting out on a limited over series at the moment, uh, which is providing some entertaining cricket, uh, hosted in Zimbabwe at the moment at the sports club in Harare. And Ireland took on Afghanistan as part of their T20 series, uh, a very entertaining game that Ireland uh, won comprehensively by seven wickets. So a few uh, a few international contests, uh, a few minor stories to pick up this week, uh, all of which to, to wrap up this evening's show. But we'll start with Trent Bolt, uh, who was announced this week he has been released uh, from his central contract uh, with New Zealand to allow him to spend more time with his family and also to allow him to play in domestic leagues around the world. This shouldn't perhaps be a huge surprise. It was going to happen at some point. We've seen a few notable uh, retirements from certain franchises and certain forms of the game. Quinton de Kock stepped back from Test cricket due to his white ball and franchise commitments around the world. Ben Stokes 
step back from ODI cricket to focus on the Test and the T20 sides, it is perhaps only natural that we see a player of Trent Bolt's stature uh, stand back from his commitments. And it makes sense, you know. He's not formally retiring from the international game, but he's having a significantly reduced role, at least that's what the press release said, uh, within the New Zealand setup. Uh, by his own admission, he acknowledges that not having one of these central national contracts will affect his chances of selection. But as he pointed out, it's all about a collective decision with his family. He wants to spend more time at home. He wants to, uh, to play cricket on his terms. And with the amount of international sport going on at the moment, a, an all-format player like Trent Bolt could find themselves away from home for a significant portion of the year, leaving his wife and three quite young children back in New Zealand. You know, by his own admission, family has been a significant motivator, and it is good to see a player of his stature uh, make a stance like this. You know, his his test record is phenomenal, 317 wickets in 70-odd tests. I believe he currently tops the uh, ODI bowling rankings, um, and he's a player of, of enormous talent, and this will be a real loss uh, to a New Zealand team that's already lost some experienced operators in the last few years. Ross Taylor being top of that list. So a shame for New Zealand cricket, but a good move from Trent Bolt to preserve yeah, and spend more time with his family and to allow him to, the flexibility to play uh, cricket around the world. But I can't help but wonder if this is something we're going to see more of. You know, former international players who could well be contesting in all three formats, including the Red Bull game, who instead spurn these central contracts to allow them to earn more money, you know, be, being franchise journeymen and taking part in the Big Bash League or heading off to the Pakistani Super League or the IPL, or even some of these new leagues cropping up in the UAE or the revamped South African T20 domestic competition. I think it might be a sign of things to come as players prioritising their own flexibility rather than competing for their country at test level. But I think it's fair to say that Bolt's impact on the game, particularly the professionalism of the New Zealand bowling lineup, will not be forgotten. Even this summer, his haul of wickets against England still showing his, his power, his potential and his talent in the highest format of the game. We quickly move to have a report on Scottish cricket. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago about the, uh, the, the report, the damning report and indictment of Scottish cricket uh, and the inherent and institutional racism within the organisation. Uh, I'm sure the, 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 the Scottish cricket team are looking for some good news uh, to, to slightly allay the, the substantial fears and concerns around racism in the sport as they look to rebuild uh, their, their, uh, their domestic setup and hopefully uh, restructure around a more inclusive and EDI aware uh, team. With that in mind, and this in the background, uh, their win over the United Arab Emirates as part of the World Cup League 2 uh, is even more impressive. Uh, playing in Aberdeen, they won the toss and decided to bat first, and it seemed like a sensible decision after Kyle Kurtzier uh, struck his first four balls for four boundaries to get them off to a really positive start. Um, Scotland eventually ending 262 all out, uh, not batting the 50 overs, but still posting a competitive uh, first innings total. Uh, Coates here making 23 and Wallace 35 at the top of the order uh, to give the middle order a bit of a license and a platform to swing. In particular, Callum McLeod 76 from 88, uh, the highest score of the innings as Cross, Greaves and Leask all made contributions in the middle order. In response, the UAE uh, lost wickets consistently and really failed to push on uh, Rohan Mustafa, uh, his 65 not out. Uh, being the only real resistance as the middle order of Rizwan, Mustafa and Hamid uh, scored the bulk of the runs. 
a good win for Scotland. It moves them closer uh, to competing in the 50-over World Cup tournament. We saw them uh, compete in the T20 last year and hopefully will again this year. It's a good chance for some of these smaller associate nations uh, to push for some of these bigger fixtures and cement their status as major players in the international format. And next we move to Zimbabwe, uh, where uh, an entertaining uh, and well-matched tour uh, is taking place. Bangladesh, uh, t- I say touring Zimbabwe, they've played all their competitive fixtures at Harare uh, in an ODI and then t- T20I format. The T20I is very evenly poised, actually. Zimbabwe eventually taking a 2-1 series win, clinching the first T20I by 17 runs, losing the second by seven wickets, and then claiming the third and final by 10 runs, giving them a 2-1 lead. Uh, good scores from Zimbabwe. Their first T20I, they put away 205-3, a really uh, impressive batting display uh, from the yeah, one of the lesser, slightly lesser African sides, you know, South Africa being the, the main one. Namibia also posting a, a threat in recent tournaments. But uh, Sikandar Raza, his seven, uh, 65 off 26, uh, really set the tempo uh, for this Zimbabwean batting lineup, captained in this instance by Craig Irvin, who himself made a contribution of 21. Sean Williams is 33. Supported Wesley uh, Medhaver is 67 before he retired hurt. And Sikandar Raza's 65, not out off 26. Good score, competitive score there. Most teams who set 200 in the T20 tend to go on to win, and as was the case in this fixture. The next, they, the batsmen failed to fire to quite the same extent, extent, same extent. Zimbabwe falling 135 for 8. Bangladesh chasing that down comfortably within 17 overs in the final match. Again, a, a competitive score of 156 for 8 set by Zimbabwe. Bangladesh falling short 146 for 8 at the close. The ODIs have been hugely exciting. They're a five-match series that Zimbabwe are currently leading uh, 2-1. Uh, the fourth ODI taking place as I uh, record this section. Uh, the first match won by five wickets, Zimbabwe clinching victory with 10 balls to spare. The second, also going Zimbabwe's way, a win by five wickets, this time with 15 balls to spare. They seem to be quite confident in the chase at the moment. They're bowling quite tightly, restricting uh, Bangladesh, uh, preventing them from pushing on and scoring any big, you know, uh, substantially past 300 scores. They're chasing quite well. Well, the third ODI, things didn't quite go to plan. Uh, Bangladesh batting first, put across 256 for nine. Uh, some good bowling displays in particular. Brad Evans taking two quick wickets, but being quite expensive. Luke Youngwe, uh, recently denied an IPL contract, but still pushing for some franchise player around the world, taking up two for 38 from his six overs. The main batsman doing the damage, Afif Hussain's 85 not out from 81 balls, uh, setting the tempo uh, for a, a pretty competitive Bangladeshi innings. In response, Zimbabwe really failed to fire and at one point found themselves 7 for 77. As the upper and middle order crumbled without offering an awful lot of resistance. Hitanu and Marumani, the openers, uh, putting on one between them. Innocent Kaer falling for 10. Wesley Medhevra falling for 1. Sikander Raza, a first baller uh, to Eberdot Hussain. And a bit of resistance offered by the middle order as Clive Madande, the uh, standing wicketkeeper, made 24 from 45 and almost test level strike rate. And uh, Wanyonga and Yongwe, uh, both scoring 13 and 15 respectively, uh, to inch Zimbabwe uh, to 151 all out. A bit of lower order hitting from Richard uh, Garava, 34 from 27, and Victor Nauchi, 26 from 31, salvaged some degree of honour, but it was a pretty comprehensive defeat by Bangladesh. 
2-1 up so far in the ODI series. Plenty more to play for, and it's quite exciting seeing uh, two of these smaller nations uh, facing off, uh, particularly as we don't seem to see an awful lot of uh, cricket being played in Zimbabwe at the moment. Uh, it's good to see them emerging uh, from the international cricketing wilderness. Mm. And finally for me this evening, uh, we turn to Ireland's recent uh, seven-wicket win over Afghanistan. Ireland have been uh, doing the rounds uh, of the uh, white ball series this summer, uh, hosting uh, New Zealand, amongst many others, and uh, Afghanistan, the latest uh, in this lineup. There's been a lot of good performance here. Harry, Norkin Tucker's looked particularly impressive. Harry Tech has been quite consistent. Paul Sterling, yeah, well into his international career now, blowing a little hot and cold, but all of them putting in good and consistent performances. Curtis Kampfer with bat and ball looking impressive. Mark Adair and Andy McBride you know, both continue to prove their importance to this side. And so it was in this fixture against Afghanistan. You know, Afghanistan batted first and seemed to get off to a good start, laying a platform being 115 for four uh, before things sort of fell away slightly. The standout performance uh, in the batting, Usman Ghani, who made 59 from 42, including uh, six fours and two sixes, holding together the innings uh, as a few others made contributions. Zandran finishing 29 not out. Gurbaz at the top of the order making 26 from 22. But some good bowling, uh, particularly uh, from McCarthy, who uh, picked up three wickets for 34 runs. A pretty good economic, economic rate for the medium pace in these conditions, uh, getting both openers and Rashid Khan towards the end of the innings, who can be quite dangerous at the death. In response, Ireland made it at a canter. Although they won uh, with two balls to spare, they did so only three wickets down, not really needing to break their stride, not really needing to break sweat. Sterling and Balburnie put on a 61-run 60, opening partnership before Sterling was dismissed for 31, and Andy Balburnie was able to push on to a well-constructed half-century, 51 from 38 balls. This was followed up by Lorcan Tucker, his 50 from 32, full of intent as he hit seven boundaries in total. Harry Tector and George Dockrell finished off the innings quite comfortably, scoring 25 and 10, respectively, uh, taking Ireland to 171 from three, uh, winning with two balls to spare. Not really much to write home about about the Afghan bowling. Rashid was uh, uh, Rashid Khan was economical but failed to take any wickets. And there was a wicket apiece for Mujib, Naveen and Nabi. Good win for Ireland. They continue to grow and develop as a white ball team. And uh, it continues to be a, a very exciting to see some of these smaller nations going head to head, especially with a couple of major international competitions. That's been my week in cricket. Thank you for listening this week. Let's Talk Cricket. This programme does exactly what it says on the tin as George Marshall James and his mate Johnny are joined by Somerset bowling coach Steve Kirby and they just talk cricket. Um, that makes me really happy. From results to match reports and bowling tips, the show has it all for cricketing fans on Three Valleys Radio at www.threevalleysradio.com every Thursday at 7pm. 